Hello and welcome to Next on WQLN. I'm your host, Marcus Atkinson. If you get an opportunity, go to Facebook and like our page. You can also go to Twitter at 814 Next. Lend your voice to the dialogue. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, today we have two special guests. Uh, one of our guests is Ms. Tiffany Levette. She is the CEO of Her Power and in honor of Women's History Month. We want to bring her in and talk not just about the business that she has built, but her being an advocate and a support for women in business. But first, we want to talk about the heartbreaking situation between Russia and Ukraine. And to help us unpack that, I want to make sure that I give the entire title justice because we can't list it all on the, the lower third. Dr. Lena Sersko-Harnett, she's the assistant teaching professor and associate director for the Public Policy Fund for the Department of Political Science from Penn State Bear. And Dr. Harnett, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And so, Dr. Harnett, we talked a little bit before we were on the air. You have a very unique vantage point because on the one hand, you teach political science at a, at a collegiate level. And on the other hand, uh, this Russia-Ukraine Russia uh, situation strikes very close to home. Tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I am a political scientist. I do this for a living. I uh, study the politics of what is uh, used to be called post-Soviet space, right? Now the situation that's unfolding, um, terminology changes really quickly. But I am originally from Ukraine. I was uh, born in a town called Lubny. It's um, in the central Ukraine, about two hours away from Kiev. And Kiev actually has been the home of my family for over 20 years. And um, it's really heartbreaking to see my capital of my home country besieged. And of course, I still have family in Ukraine. As a matter of fact, my sister is in Kiev right now. So from a political standpoint, did you personally see this developing? Was this a surprise to you? I can't tell you this was a surprise. Um, you know, Ukraine has been living in a state of war with Russia over the last eight years. The question was, of course, how intense the situation was going to become. And I think despite intellectually understanding uh, the possibility, me personally was hoping to the end that this was not going to be an escalation to the degree that we see now. Um, so I'll be completely honest that when I heard um, Vladimir Putin declare his war, and I listened to it live as it was happening on the night of the 23rd of February. Um, it was a, quite a surreal experience because even though cerebrally, as a political scientist, I could see all the signs, I could see the writing on the wall as it were, but um, personally, of course, I was rather hoping that such a tremendous scale could be averted for people who don't have a full understanding, help us um, help us understand Vladimir Putin's obsession with Ukraine. Give us some backstory on uh, just this, uh, his outlook on this country. That's a million dollar question, isn't it? So that everybody is asking, what is his obsession with Ukraine? Well, there are several things going on here. That on one hand, absolutely, if you understand um, the positioning of Ukraine in terms of its strategic place, in terms of its um, resources. Um, Ukraine has 
a lot to offer and has been sort of central to history of Russian Empire and, of course, to the history of Soviet Union and its economic development and so on. So in many ways, you can absolutely make an argument that Russia cannot be a great Eurasian power without Ukraine, without having control over Ukrainian territory, which, of course, is in Europe and uh, you know the geographic center of Europe is in Western Ukraine. Um, so that's one thing in terms of it's being um, sort of this place um, of sort of geopolitical st strategic importance. And from, you can make an argument from military defense also that Ukraine is important as a buffer zone between the West and Russia. But I also want to stress that it's very important in terms of Ukraine is important to Putin in terms of um, his ideology, in terms of his perception of um, Russia spiritually, civilizationally, and so on, and culturally. And he's made this argument very clear, and he started to write about this. Uh, even last year in July, he published that infamous article of his where he claimed that Russia and Ukraine actually want people, and Ukraine has been on the way... Um, sort of co-opted by the Western powers uh, and it's splitting away from its true home and true identity. Um, so there is a number of reasons why Putin uh, is obsessed with Ukraine. And of course, it's not, again, not a new development. We've seen this types of obsession of attempting to uh, Putin attempting to have control over Ukrainian territory, over Ukraine as a country, since he became president of Russian Federation. So for 20-some years, Putin has absolutely been obsessing and trying to create leverages of control in Ukraine. Mm. Going back to several of the revolutions, attempting to um, um, install puppet governments or control Ukrainian government, and so on. So what role, when you look at the wealth of Russia, especially where oil is concerned, what role does that play in this conflict, not just with Ukraine, but with countries, you know, around the world that are, are not just watching this crisis unfold, but some of which are taking a stand on behalf of Ukraine? What role does that wealth play? Well, that's an interesting uh, observation here in terms of wealth, because some of the of reports that we're actually hearing from Russia starting to question this particular wealth, uh, whether or not um, Russia was going to be able to actually access its reserves now that the sanctions went into place um, without uh, Russian oil being used and bought in Western democracies and other places around the world. It's also going to play a huge role in undermining that um, supposed wealth. So when you look at the images on television, for people who don't have tides, for, pe for people who don't have roots particularly in this area, it's been very difficult to watch. Uh, give us your reaction, if you can, to just some of what you've seen, because I know even the images of uh, hospitals, and they showed a neonatal unit kind of with this mm -hmm. uh, makeshift hospital room for these babies, and it's just it's heartbreaking to watch. Give us your reaction as you see this playing out and unfolding on television. Yeah, well, my reaction, I think, like no, any normal healthy individual with a healthy psyche is absolute horror. Um, it's heartbreaking. It's absolutely heartbreaking. Uh, the, the amount of civilian damage that Russians are inflicting upon Ukraine is absolutely despicable. 
which of course raises a whole bunch of questions about, again, whether or not Putin's regime, right, again, is lying about its real goals in Ukraine. Um, you know, the goal was supposedly to save Russian-speaking Ukrainian population, but what we see is Kharkiv, mostly Russian-speaking city, destroyed, leveled. Mariupol, mostly Russian-speaking city in eastern Ukraine, destroyed, ruined. Um, it was besieged almost like a medieval style um, for quite a few days. And finally, you know, people were able to evacuate just yesterday. And that is that is the horrific stuff. The bombing of the maternal ward was absolutely uh, heartbreaking to me. The will of the Ukrainian people is on full display. I get the sense that to some degree, Vladimir Putin underestimated the Ukrainian people. And now he's, you know, petitioning China for assistance. Um, as you watch that, does it make you proud to see kind of the, the steel resolve of the Ukrainian people? And I'm not surprised. I am not surprised at all to see that kind of resolve because we've, I've seen this uh, firsthand. Um, even if you take a, a look at Ukrainian resistance uh, in the last 20 years, like I already mentioned, the two revolutions. In 2004, there was an Orange Revolution where Ukrainian people did not take kindly for their elections to be rigged and took to the streets and demanded the change in the, uh, the demanded their vote and then changed the constitution. In 2013, when the government decided to renege on its promises, Ukrainians took to the streets and when government responded with harsh tactics and uh, toward the peaceful protest, Ukrainians responded with resolve and stood their ground until they saw that government uh, dis dispersing, basically the president flee to Russia. So I am not surprised to see that kind of level of organization and that level of patriotism among my countrymen and women um, who are taken to um, take it in upon themselves, civilians taking it upon themselves. I mean, the story about a woman in Kiev who took down a drone with a jar of pickled tomatoes is mm. alone, uh, right? Uh, a worthy tale or Ukrainian farmers who are using their farm equipment to tow Russian uh, tanks um, to prevent them from doing more harm to civilian infrastructure. Mm -hmm. That type of thing, I think you're absolutely correct. It was absolutely underestimated by Vladimir Putin. And we can talk about how and why this was done. I mean, he's probably was misinformed and he intentionally was misinforming himself. I mean, he's just pure ignorance on his part. Mm. So you work with our students on a regular basis. What type of feedback are you getting from uh, some of your poli-sci students on campus? They are very curious, of course. They want to know more. They um, also ask a lot of questions in terms of fact-checking and in terms of um, finding good source materials. Uh, it's very important, I think, to recognize time and again that this war is not just a war, physical war on Ukraine, but it's also information war that is happening um, world over, right? Russian propaganda and unleashing the Russian government unleashing the war on its own citizens when it comes to information, on Ukrainians and on the rest of us, the rest of us around the world. It's the war on our consciousness, the war on our very own sanity in terms of what we 
know to be true and what we see the reality to be versus what they tell us the facts are and the reality is. So my students are very um, curious and they want to be uh, conscious and um, wise consumers of information. And I really am hope, hoping that I can help them along those ways. Give us your assessment of the way the U.S. has handled this crisis thus far. Well, I think I can say nothing but thank you to Biden's administration for how they have been supporting Ukraine, to Biden personally for how he has been supporting Ukraine. Um, the supply of weapons, the well, sanctions, everything I think has been on, on target. Um, there's a few things I think where we can look for more support and more help. Uh, and that will be of course, in terms of addressing the uh, situation of uh, protecting of Ukrainian skies. I know this has been a huge conversation among NATO allies and here in the United States, also what the United States and NATO allies are willing and not willing to do in terms of protecting uh, Ukrainian territory from being bombed from the sky, because that is what Ukrainians are lacking right now are the airplanes supposedly to make those protections. So I think that's the area where where a possible, there are possibilities of making that aid um, available. Uh, and but you know I can also appreciate some of the arguments on the other side. But again, those are important conversations to be had. Um, another area I think where United States absolutely can address uh, helping Ukraine is that with the Ukrainian refugees. Um, I understand that uh, United States is absolutely willing to take refugees in. However, there's the refugee process itself is arduous and difficult um, and. I think simplifying that process uh, would be a very good step in the right direction. As people read the newspaper and watch the news, uh, what would you tell them to keep in mind as this crisis unfolds? I think the important thing for them to make, uh, to keep in mind is one that absolutely, whatever is coming out of Russian official sources out of Russian government, out of Russian TV channels, out of Russian news media, um, has to be taken with a huge grain of salt, if not even rejected as a full-on lie, which several statements even from the spokesperson of the Russian foreign ministry have been atrocious and such ridiculous lies that it's absolutely impossible to believe them even. But um, it's important for American audiences to be aware of that. Um, and also it's important for us to be uh, aware of um, the actual facts on the ground. Um, you know, don't be persuaded by the propagandist notions um, and also keep a perspective, um, absolutely keep a perspective about what uh, the sort of the, the damage of this war means for Ukrainian infrastructure, for Ukrainian civilians, for Ukrainian people. Um, this is going to be a long process of reconstruction later on and the amount of damage right now is absolutely astounding. Well, Dr. Harnett, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your perspective and your insight 
on this crisis in Ukraine. Uh, we express our deepest appreciation and uh, just sympathies for your family and your fellow countrymen and women where this crisis is concerned. Thank you so much for coming on. Yes, thank you very much indeed. I appreciate the time. All right. And now we turn our attention to Mrs. Tiffany Levette, the CEO of Her Power. Tiffany, thank you for coming on today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So I always start off when I have people that are natives to Erie because constantly I'm touting the fact that I think that one of the reasons that I'm hopeful about Erie is that so many of the children of Erie are in decision-making positions right now. So many of the children of Erie are playing pivotal roles in the proverbial village, if you will. Yeah. And so, Tiff, you're in a community that actually raised you. Talk about that. Definitely. Um, I am very proud of my roots um, here growing up in the Franklin Terrace, as a matter of fact, here in Erie, PA, attending um, school here mostly. I also attended school out of town for a few years when I lived with my father, but also returning back and attending uh, Mercyhurst College at the time and attending Edinburgh and also starting <coughs> at Gannon. So I'm really a homebody. Um, and so I really appreciate all of the investment and everything that groups of people have poured into me in order to help me to build her power. Mm. Talk about your, your neighborhood center connection. For me, it was the King Center. Which of the neighborhood centers that you grow up frequenting You know what? I was at the daycare at the JFK. There you go. Yep, I was in the daycare <laughs> program there. And also there was a preschool program in Franklin Sierra. So I was a part of both. Mm. So I've watched you. I mean, when, when you and I connected, you were the... Uh, at the time, the president of the NAACP. And actually, we met long before then. Mm -hmm. But when I started to intersect with you in community, with the president of the NAACP, very active. Give us an idea of what led you to be uh, not just so conscious of community, mm -hmm. but to actually take the step of giving your time, talent, and treasure to make Erie a better place. It's the foundation of Erie. Um, Erie is definitely a community of service, and my family is a family of service. So when that is poured into you from generations before you, and you know the work that they've done, uh, like you know, my grandmother was an advocate, my mother was an advocate, my aunts, and so they really helped to push policy forward in our community. So that, being that that was a standard and expectation for me, I had to dive and fall into that role because it was already set, you know, prior to me being here. How did the NAACP, how did that role change your perspective? Because when you are in a position where other people have to bring their fears, their hopes, mm -hmm. their aspirations, um, questions about their place in community, as the president of the NAACP, you had to um, just kind of help people work through a lot of their experience yeah. in the Erie community. How did that change your perspective? It changed my perspective because it was really a ch it was a challenge. It, it was really difficult um, to manage. Uh, I was able to grasp it because there was the support from the community was phenomenal during that time of my my um, my tenure uh, during uh, NAACP days, but it. It was challenging and it helped me to understand that everyone should have the opportunity to learn and to change their actions. So when there are many complaints coming uh, regarding organizations in the community, it wasn't that I was looking in a punitive way, but looking that how, how could you or did you understand the situation or circumstance and how is it that we can improve it for next time so it doesn't happen this way, but we um, really incorporate some changes. So that helped me to uh, be more patient um, it, it gave me the perspective of patience and um, understanding of other people and trying to figure out how is it that we can work through issues together. 
So we talk about her powers. We build up to you talking about that organization and just what led to you building that. Talk about the mentors or the mentor yeah. that you've had in community. Give me the, the strong women that you've looked to. You've named you know, your mother and your grandmother. What women in community really influenced you to become a lot of what we see from you today? Mm, that's really interesting because I love everyone who surrounds me. It, it has been women. There has also been equally men um, involved with pouring into me, my upbringing, teaching me, introducing me to new ways and ideas. Uh, some of the women, Dr. Dixon would be one phenomenal uh, with the work that she has done with Sarah Reed and in the areas of diversity and inclusion for sure, in the areas of uh, partnership and looking to improve programs. So she has definitely been one of those people. Um, Teresa Oliver has been another one who has poured into me um, over the years in a great way just to be a support on a personal level because you can't share everything with everyone. So she has definitely been one of those people um, to help me. Even in daycare land, um, there have been other providers when I first got started to assist me, um, Nadine and Tiffany. So I am really appreciative of the women who were not family members who decided to uh, see something in me and pour into me um, at that time. And it's helped me to build um, her power. It's helped me to build a child care portion and other businesses. And I'm really appreciative of those um, ladies and the guys who have helped me get through. Mm, excellent. So walk us through the entrepreneurial journey. The, as you start to build this business or these businesses that you have now, give us that first step. Which area that you go towards first? Ooh wee. The first step was um, having enough courage to jump and to take that leap. That was the most difficult. Uh, my father, he owned a store when I was a child, so he taught me how to run business when I was eight years old. By the time I was nine, he was leaving me by myself to cash people out. And I was so excited, didn't realize I wasn't supposed to do it at that time. But moving forward, just the the investment that has been poured into in the entrepreneur journey, the preparation really helped me to make that leap. I was working for federal government at the time, and so folks looked at me like, are you crazy for leaving that job? Because I really did have have a, a good paying salary and great benefits with the federal government. But it was time for me to leap into dive into that role and that calling that I knew was for me. Thank you for pointing it out, because the courage to be an entrepreneur, I, I genuinely think when you look at the, the U.S. economy, it is that group that are like the sometimes the unsung heroes, but the heroes in general, because even when people look for a, a traditional job, if you will, somebody had to take the leap in order to grow the company to, to have mm -hmm. a traditional job to yeah. offer you in the first place. And so it is something special to see people take that leap and say, you know what? I'm going to trust in the process. I'm going to trust in the planning. I'm going to trust in the God that I serve. If that's who you are in a higher power, whatever your process is, I'm going to trust this yes. and take the leap. Was it unnerving at first, though, when you said, I'm going to do this? Woo, it, it was. You're talking about leaning into God deep. You know, that, that is my faith. I'm Christian. I'm saved by grace for sure. And that, that I had to lean into God. Oh, uh, it. I got to the place where I had to sell things. I had to sell uh, jacket, expensive jackets, purses, shoes that I didn't need. Um, it was necessary for me to move out of my house. Um, I had a Jaguar at the time. I had to sell it. Uh, I had a truck that I had to, it was repossessed. So it was unnerving for sure, but I believed in the vision and I believe that the women in our community needed something more. Like we needed something we needed to go to. We needed a place to call home. And I've been committed to create that environment 
environment. And so that process in the beginning of nothingness is how I refer to it. Uh, it was something, it was something I was really broke. Um, and a lot of those women, you know, that I mentioned, they helped me. Uh, they helped me when I didn't have gas in a car, you know, when I needed or was expected to go to all these meetings or come through for the community, but how was I going to get there? You know, so this was prior to selling the car with the gas thing. Mm -hmm. And so after having to sell my car and getting my truck repossessed, I didn't have transportation. So these women in the community really helped me, you know, when I needed a ride or I needed to get somewhere, the guys all also helped me too. Too. Gary and Andre have been great mentors for me and trained me up a lot through this process. And Miss Denise has also been one of those people. So when I was broke, <laughs> that unnerving part, I had people to really help push me through. And I'm talking, to, here's $20 for gas. I mean, that meant something. That meant whether I was going to be able to attend all these meetings, uh, come through to somebody's bedside who was in there from being um, injured, uh, for whatever reason, it was NAACP concern. I had to get there, and there were people behind me who pushed me to make sure I did. Mm -hmm. And so when she mentions Gary, Andre, uh, and she's talking about, and Denise, she's talking about the Horton family. Oh, definitely. For, for those of you who may not know, T.D. Jakes says something very fascinating that I, that I held on to just listening to your testimony. T.D. Jakes said it is easy to debate the actual cost of olive oil. Ooh. But I submit to you that one must go behind the olive oil plant and talk to the crushed olive mm. that's behind the factory in order to get the true cost of making olive oil. It's the crushing yeah. that really makes the journey what it is. And so it's easy for people to hate on or to size up your success, if mm -hmm. you will. Mm -hmm. But there's a price to be paid for that. And you're outlining that struggle for us right now. Oh, definitely. It, it was a price to pay. And as I grow and as we grow as a team, there are more sacrifices and things that has to be done. Like the, the level of return that you're looking for in life is, is measures the level of investment. Whether you're um, investing in your human capital and time or your finances or your ideas and your thoughts, those investments are, it, it's a sacrifice to be in that space. But also the return is great. The amount of people that you can reach um, to, to bring up to their highest level of success is like, it's phenomenal. The feeling is overwhelming. I enjoy this space. I enjoy my story. It's a part of who I am. I enjoy the fact that I can say I was broke and needed $20 for gas because right now today I'm, I'm definitely that person. And, and when I say I, I'm referring to me and my whole team. We're, we're that people and, and I'm that person because of them to really help to invest into the next person who was me. Like that, that, that Tiffany, that woman who is striving, who um, has a desire, has the compassion, has the knowledge knowledge to education, but financially may not have as much backing or support. Mm -hmm. Give us that moment where things started to really come together. You started to catch that tailwind to your back and things started to work out as you foresaw in the beginning. When was that moment for you? It happened really quickly. Uh, we, when we grew, like her power, um, we we branched off to providing childcare services because we uh, NAACP received a call from a, a homeless woman who was transient, uh, left a domestic violence situation. She didn't have anyone to keep her kids so she can go on a job interview. She didn't have any food. Her power came together to do that and provide that service for that young lady. And so that right there was the beginning. And I'm telling you, we grew to capacity in 30 days for the 
child care portion and was looking for our second facility in month six. For me, I was so buried in the sand with being busy and working all the time. It was that month six when we were looking for our second location was that moment for me like, oh my goodness, we are here, we are growing and it's out of control. And, and at that, at that moment, I knew that this was it. This was going to be something that would change and impact the lives of women, whether they were parents, whether they were uh, stakeholders or uh, people who I was just starting to mentor. I knew at that six month mark that it was it was something special. So child care was the initial business that gave you the foundation to start doing this outreach to women. How did that work? Actually, it turned out it was the other way around. Okay. It was her power started first. Uh, February 7th of 2014 um, actually is our, our birthday. Uh, we started there first and then the, the need from women came for childcare and then it, emorphed, it branched off to childcare. Mm -hmm. And so when you, when you were building her power, you gave us a kind of a wonderful testimony just about the women that poured into you and what that looked like and even you know, helping and, and supporting you along that struggle. Uh, when did you decide, okay, I want to give this to other women. I want to be that kind of support for other women. How did that decision come about? Mm -hmm. and, and just talk to us about how that has developed. Well, you know, it's interesting because uh, it was NAA, during the NAACP time, uh, around 20, 2013, as a matter of fact, uh, myself, uh, Teresa, it may have been, Teresa Oliver, um, it may have been Lisa Heidelberg, we went to an NAACP meeting, um, and they were talking about women in the NAACP. They were looking to grow the women in, in NAACP. So that was actually my mission, um, to develop the NAACP, the, the women's branch of, you know, Know, our local uh, NAACP branch here. So when I came back and I had a meeting with a few of the ladies, it was actually Stacy Dobbs Camino, who was a principal of Bell Valley at the time, uh, uh, Teresa Oliver, who was a manager uh, for St. Vincent's Hospital at the time. It was um, newscaster and myself. And so we met at the Firebird. And so the format of the meeting, I included like some serious community questions and uh, some games. And they said, oh, Tiffany, let's do this again. That wasn't my intention. I just <laughs> wanted them to come on to the NAACP. And they wanted to do it again. So I did it again. And next time we had like uh, the head of the WIC office and we had, you know, major uh, women from Erie Insurance, all, all women who were women of color, who were powerful, had great positions in the community. And we were all together um, at the steakhouse, at the casino, as a matter of fact, just really talking and having fun together. And it was, it was amazing. And I knew from that point that I had to continue growing and developing her power. Mm. I had a conversation with a young man of color about mm -hmm. a, an organization that he started not long ago. And we got into a discussion about entrepreneurs within the African-American community in particular. And it dawned on us in that conversation that a disproportionate number, and this is mm -hmm. actually consistent with statistics from around the country, a disproportionate yeah. number of those new businesses in Erie were started by women. Yeah. Speak to that a little bit, just about the, what do you think that's, that's mm -hmm. about? I, I believe there has been a national, if not a global wave with um, entrepreneurship among women and um, people of color. I believe there has been a shift. The pandemic has also helped with this shift because we had to really depend on what we knew, what was on the inside of us. And we know that vision comes from within. It comes on the inside of us. God puts it there. And so to, we had no choice but to act on that vision because we're survivors. I also believe that um, nationally, we, we've seen a lot of um, 
coaching certification programs. I'm also a certified coach and um, became a part of a global network. And so with that, I have amazing women there who also mentor me, who also coach me to get to um, to actually be one of the, the nation's um, top coaches. And I'm really excited about that. But there was a wave of women who created coaching academies, created training programs for women. And that's how you've um, that's how and why you see the development of uh, increased number of women in business. Mm -hmm. So let's drill down on this a little bit. Child care is a model that many of us are familiar with. Yeah. When it comes to the Her Power model, yeah. you know, give us an idea of the mission, the vision, the vision, the values, and what it is that you offer as an organization. Okay. Well, the mission is for us to um, empower and enhance the lives of women, uh, personally, professionally, and in business. Empower actually stands for uh, professionalism, ownership, wisdom, entrepreneurship, and readiness. Mm -hmm. So uh, my, my, one of my greatest mentors, Mrs. Roxanne Sewell from uh, Pittsburgh, she has also been one of those people who took me along her wing and used to drag me around the uh, Commonwealth mm -hmm. of Pennsylvania teaching me things. Talk yes, magazine. definitely. Yes. Mm -hmm. Teaching me things, and they're so awesome. And so so um, in, in that process with developing the, 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 whole, the whole her power, it's we had to shift when necessary. You know what I mean? So we had to shift and pivot when necessary and provide the needs of the women who, who requested it. So it depends on what it is. The, so the mission is to meet the woman where she is. We uh, also like to prevent things like closure, help to find funding, help to build the woman who needs clarity with her business or how to start, how to grow her business. Where should I look to find funding? And we just had a uh, collaboration with the city that provided information about funding and grant opportunities available through the city's ARPA funds. So the, these are things that we want to continue to do and grow. We um, also have space um, on West 26th Street, but we're looking to go into um, an area that uh, is more conducive to, to business and access. So we're looking to shift that now so we can have our, our uh, space open uh, during the day and available for women who are looking to grow their business to come in and to use the facility to also get advice, become a member of Her Power and continue the cycle, continue to train and bring up young women um, who are maybe of those teenagers years that need to be a part of those courses so we can really train. Also a leg is the political leg so we're looking to build a political leg for women who are interested in entering in politics well who trains them and what does that look like? Right. So th this is another this is another area. Um, so we're just collaborating, building um, we are looking for a home I'm also open to memberships with you know with other organizations and entities that are greater than her power somewhere we were an uh, entity where we can actually learn from and help to uh, they can help to build us and we can build them. Mm -hmm. So that's something that we're um, definitely open to. Yeah, there's a network of young men in this community that just give me a lot of hope for the future. I look at people like Corey Cook yeah. and Caesar Westbrook and Brandon Weil, and these young men mm -hmm. make me feel like, you know what, this community is in good hands. Yeah. We keep producing these. Yeah. Who are those young ladies for you that you look at and you say, there it is, oh. there's the next generation? Well, that is definitely, Shateria Franklin is one of those. I look at her and I say, she is it. I just pray that we do everything we have to do to keep her in this city. <laughs> I'm being sure to work diligently and I'm hard at that. But she would be one of those people, for example, that would be 
a catalyst to bringing in um, younger women, um, women in business with uh, her generations and younger. She works with uh, young girls eight to 18. So she has, re I mean, that is a phenomenal age group and a great place to start to educate those women. So if they want to segue into business, you know, let's go. And then we put them, you know, once they pass this, a certain age, put them into the Her Power fold if that's a good fit for them. But she, Shataria is definitely that person. The young lady has so much potential. Um, she's a homebody and I just pray that she continues to stay here. All right. So some of the, some of the uh, events that you have to honor women, I know that you have something along those lines coming up. Just talk about how those events, how that event in particular developed and how it's been received thus far by the women of our community. And is this, is this specifically targeting women of color? It, it definitely is. For, for me, and I'll tell you, it came from a place. You dug, you dug with that one, Marcus. <laughs> it came from a place. Because I would look um, at different events, and, and I often would question, why don't I see me there? Mm -hmm. And not me as the person, Tiffany, but as the black woman, businesswoman in this community, or someone who is in the... Uh, uh, corporate sector or someone who's in the nonprofit sector, why isn't anyone acknowledging the work of powerful, strong black women in our community or women of color? And it's not just exclusive to that, because I've also had um, Caucasian women um, honorees as well. And we also um, have Kathy Dahlkamper, who was a part of that this year. And we also have uh, a male, uh, Dalen Michael, who is from the um, uh, Central Outreach Erie, who serves the LGBTQ community. So we also want to incorporate uh, trans transgender women into the fold because there there has to be a there is a place for you. There has to be a place for you um, to get into the fold. You know, with other women, uh, minority women. So I not not seeing women who were doing great work being acknowledged for that or hearing the excuse at the time during my NAACP years that taught me something, hearing the excuse that um, when it came to boards, uh, we can't find any talent in the black community. We can't find any talents in black women and uh, women in the community that are educated or that are, have a level of understanding. These were some of the excuses. And so for me, I'm like, you know what? We're gonna cut all that out and we will create our own. We will create our own platform and I will make sure that we have a platform that acknowledges you, black woman, black, strong, powerful woman, that acknowledges you and honors you in this community because you are valued. And I also want to be a part of um, decreasing the amount of people who really, the uh, strong black women and men who leave Erie. Let's, let's give the That's opportunity important. and reason for them to stay. And um, one of the major ways, whether you're acknowledging staff or, or uh, a community thing like Her Power is that when people are acknowledged and feel appreciated, they're more likely to be a part of the team and contribute to the team. Mm -hmm. Thank you for mentioning that. When you, you went there when you talked about Shateria Franklin yeah. and that you need to do everything you can to support her so that she stays here. That's a legitimate issue. I mean, across the board in Erie, Pennsylvania, of all ethnicities, we're losing our young people, especially mm -hmm. our talented young people. So there's this brain drain that we have, and obviously it affects the economy. It, it has a generational impact yeah. because, as you pointed out, the next generation of young women are not seeing themselves as much if we continue to lose that generation. So thank you for pointing that out. At some point, usually when people are on a journey like this, mm -hmm. they have an aha moment where something comes full circle and makes it clear that you are doing what you're supposed to do. Have, there's been a, have, have there been a comment? Has there been a comment, a moment, an interaction that made you say, 
you know what? I'm doing exactly what I'm mm. supposed to do at the exact right time that I'm supposed to be doing it. What was that moment for you? Um, that moment is, a, it is really personal, but I'll share it the best way that I can. Sure. Um, that, that moment was when we had, and we have multiple, we had a, a specific need in the community and it just was too much to go through all the red tape, all the applications. And so sometimes there are things that are immediate. Like if you have an issue with your furnace in your business, or if you have an issue where pipes break, you don't have time <laughs> to work on the application to get the job done. Or if you're at risk of, of whatever that financial situation may be. And I'm not saying that, um, I am a pot of, of funds at this time. That is something that we're actually looking to build. But I, I would like to have that available. The aha moment was I'm doing what I'm supposed to do is when we were, we're able to help other women in business. Mm -hmm. That right there is so critical because I also feel like we need to do more. Like we need to have access to um, capital and revenue and funding to really, really help impact the lives of these uh, women who are starting and growing their businesses because really, you know, we have the, um, the, the, the crisis, you know, in, the, in our community um, with diversity uh, and inclusion here, to be quite honest. And so programs are developed, commissions have been developed to address um, some of those issues. And so I hope to be a part of the solution um, from now and moving forward and that we can bring in enough uh, funds for our account so we can have a scholarship mm -hmm. fund for women in business. Mm -hmm. So that's actually a perfect segue. I want to go off okay. just a touch. You talked about the you know, economic impact, things along those lines and DEI. You're actually a part of yes. this DEI commission has been assembled here in Erie. Yes. Talk about the importance of that and, and how does that segue or not segue necessarily, how does that uh, impact the work that you're doing with women in our community? Well, the DEI Commission uh, was created by, you know, the Erie County Council to address the issues that we have uh, with discrimination declared a um, state of emergency, you know, um, in the area of diversity and inclusion. So that right there, it, it kind of include, it includes all of us, it includes men and women in DEI Commission. It is very, it's, it's critical and important because without a commission such, such as the DEI Commission for the county, we cannot ensure or guarantee that minority-owned businesses will have a fair opportunity because historically it has not been that way um, in the city of Erie or the county, but I'm glad that we have been open enough to be innovative and create programs and pass policy that will actually have a strong impact in the community, keep uh, young black talent in the city and allow us to grow and move forward. Mm. So on, on a national level, let me go personal for a minute, and on a national level, for me, I look at people like Russell Simmons, Damon John, these mm -hmm. gentlemen, I've read a ton of biographies on them for various reasons. I just love their story and I gain a great deal of encouragement from them mm -hmm. as entrepreneurs. When you look on a national level, Give us an idea of the woman or the women that capture your attention, that you tend to study more, that you tend to inspect mm -hmm. more because of their accomplishments. Um, I, I actually really love Oprah. 
Um, uh, I have a, a picture actually that I share at times when I look just like her when I was younger. Um, and also there's a woman um, named uh, Lisa Nichols is one uh, who I really worked hard to get to her conference some years ago. And my friend at the time, who is now my husband, he traveled with me to this conference. And I'm telling you, it was a struggle to get there, but that really changed and impacted my life. Um, I was connected with a group of, of women called my Earth Angels actually. And we stay in contact to this day. And this was probably about six, five or six years ago when I attended that conference and was able to meet and have one-on-one -on -one time with Lisa Nichols. Like if you've heard of Lisa Nichols, she is everything. Um, also, uh, Sarita Pittman. Sarita Pittman is actually my coach and she is in the top 2% earners in the country and she's amazing wealth of knowledge uh, and she is a celebrity coach. And so I'm really blessed to have her to be someone to learn from because she teaches me an absolute lot. Mm. <laughs> Even before coming here, I'm texting like, okay, bloop, 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 you know, so. <laughs> you talked about your event and uh, this particular year. Give us a snapshot of the women that you are honoring mm -hmm. this time around and tell us why you've chosen mm -hmm. to honor these women. Just amazing, just amazing women and the man. Uh, the services that they uh, provide, this, this group of people, the services that they provide with the organizations that they're connected to is really what stood out to me. Um, typically we would have like a, a businesswoman of the year kind of thing, but this year I decided to change it up a little bit. They call it this year a business as unusual. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how we kind of did her power. Uh, Dr. Dixon is one of those in Sarah Reed with the work that she has done within the area of diversity and inclusion for sure. She's one of those people. Uh, Kathy Dahl Kemper as a way uh, to honor her and appreciate her as she exits. She exits her uh, county council seat. Um, we want to acknowledge her for that from the black community, women in particular. She has always been a support to her power. Also, we have uh, Lori Pickens, who is a long childhood friend of mine. Mm. We grew up together, went to high school together, played on the block together when we were kids. And for her to be the first chairwoman of the Erie Public Schools, the uh, uh, first black chairwoman, and it's just amazing to me. So I wanted to definitely um, be sure that we acknowledge that. Uh, also, I mentioned uh, Dayla Michael with the work with the LGBTQ community and transgender women providing that safe haven. Uh, Tasha Cooks is one. She has her uh, business taste of love. And I remember when she started years ago, we actually would sit down and have conversations and, and just do like a, a brainstorming thing together on how she could really grow her business. And she was starting back then. And the work that she's done and the outcome, I'm so proud of her. Tasha is one of our honorees as well this year. Erie's Black Wall Street is also an honoree. They provide a great service. When, when you talk about the um, increased number of black women in business, they have been one of those places with uh, providing information to business owners overall. So I just wanted to acknowledge them for what that impact has meant and been for women in business. So we're acknowledging uh, Black Wall Street. And I'm trying to think of who else. And I... Oh, and uh, Lynn Twilly Darby, she, uh, Miss Lynn Twilly Darby, she's with Area Insurance. She's a commercial um, consultant with them. And that right there, she's the first African-American woman to have this position. And we have to celebrate and acknowledge uh, these kind of situations, even with attorney uh, Nikki Page and attorney Khadija um, Horton. Uh, this was a couple years ago, of course, that they got into the courthouse, but we um, were put off because of pandemic at that time, but wanted to acknowledge them for uh, being two attorneys, you know, who have returned back to the Erie area to really pour into and invest into the lives of people in our area and to defend the law. You mentioned the pandemic. How did that affect your businesses? Obviously, you've got child care, you've got her power. 
Um, you've had to pivot on several occasions for different reasons. Yeah. You've said, how did you have to pivot mm -hmm. during COVID? It has been uh, really challenging. Of course, we apply for whatever funding opportunities we may qualify for. That has helped us to sustain. Uh, the biggest thing is our team safety has been the biggest thing. So we have really been blessed not to have large numbers of COVID. And we thankfully have not had any cases in a very, very long time. Um, we are a pretty large child care facility downtown Erie. Uh, pandemic, even with her, her power, for example, we've had to uh, post bone for the last couple years. We had this date set <laughs> with the Sheridan for a couple years uh, and we had to postpone, you know, 2020, had to postpone 2021. And I said this year we really, really, really need to need to come out. Uh, we set this date last year. There was no way for me to get out of it. <laughs> so I said, oh, you know what, we're ready to come back outside. So let's go. Uh, financially, pandemic has definitely been a challenge for us, uh, has been a challenge with, you know, the purchase of my building, looking to secure a loan for that. Been working so hard at it. And I, I definitely see and feel um, the the disadvantages sometimes that we face, you know, as um black business owners, black women business owners in the community. So I'm hoping that that changes for me soon. I'm looking at different pots and ways to kind of maneuver grants and funding to really uh, contribute to the build out, which her power build out is what we're looking to do uh, downtown above from the building that I hope to purchase very soon. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure for you that was twofold because on the one hand, yeah. you're addressing your own needs yes. during the pandemic. On the other hand, from the way it sounds, I'm sure there were other women entrepreneurs yes that were leaning in and coming to you as well. What was that like? It was really challenging because a part of me just wanted to really, I really wanted to weep in situations where I couldn't help like I wanted to, or even right now, because there are uh, still after effects happening and businesses are closing even now as a result. So I'm just trying my best to partner with entities like the city to continue providing information, how to apply for funding, how to prepare for funding, when to apply, when is the funding going to be available? Uh, being, being that person to help breaks the gap between having information and not, because that has been one thing that has kept us from funding is because we hear about it last often and we're the last to apply, last to the table. And that can't happen. We have to do whatever it is we need to do, have those conversations and those public meetings to ensure that we're being that community um, that we were created to be. Mm. Tiffany, are there any plans to have an impact on or direct impact or work with the teenage community or the organizations that you support, is that in the works or is that something that we'll leave for another organization? Definitely um, in the works so far as, as far as support is concerned. Um, I know Shataria works with uh, the young girls age 8 to 18. That is her niche for real. Uh, so that will we'll definitely support her as much as we can as she builds her program to support young, uh, young girls and teenage girls and young adult girls. Mm. So lastly, let's talk a little bit about the, your legacy. I had Gary Lee on the show. Okay. And, you know, Gary's done a lot of wonderful work in this community. And we talked a bit about his legacy. You know, there's so many people that have impacted our lives, uh, so many people's journeys that have helped shape our lives. And as you do your work now, you've got a lot of work in front of you. But, you know, when you look at the generation behind you, when all of this is said and done, you want the, that eight-year-old girl who comes into her own power yeah. in her 20s. What do you want her to say about your legacy as she observes the work um, of your journey? 
I want her to see that there was a woman who was a part of her power that helped impact her life. Not necessarily that it was me directly, but even being um, the organization or entity that I created, like it just is amazing. Cause sometimes, you know, I'll hear people say something about her power. I hear people say, uh, you know, the daycare downtown and I look over like, oh my goodness, I created this. Like this is, this is something that I birthed and you know, a, a team of people um, to include my husband helped me with it all. We're in it together. Like, um, and so I want that young person to look and see the teamwork, uh, see the amount of care, effort, compassion, and the genuine spirit that has gone into all of it. And that this is a place that in a hub that you can trust the people who are in it and the people who are um, here to, to listen to you and support you in your business. Excellent point, because this is a network that you're building. Yes. So certainly the ripple effect can be felt not just here, but even abroad as some of these people impacted by your organization go to other cities, correct? Yes. yes. We, um, we've actually had guests attend Her Power from as far as uh, Canada. So when we had international guests, that was something I was like, oh my goodness, it was so, it was so uplifting and, and rewarding to even have that person in our presence for Her Power. I couldn't believe it. So uh, those kind of things are happening. They continue to happen and we'll continue to build. We uh, actually do, we have a national coaching program to, as a matter of fact, we haven't expanded globally yet, but national where we have, um, clients around the country who I help with their business and I help them to grow uh, and start their childcare businesses. So we actually have a secret rolling out on the 25th at the conference. So we'll be sharing uh, more information about programming and opportunities we have here for Her Power membership in Erie. Mm. So in closing, give us all of the relevant information that we need about Her Power. How can people learn more? How can people get in touch with you if necessary? Mm -hmm. And what can they look forward to this coming up in the near future that they may want to participate in listening to this show? Definitely. You can always email Tiffany at herpowerinc.com. Also for the event, it, it, we are on Eventbrite. We also have uh, manual tickets available, but Eventbrite, it is activateyourpower.eventbrite.com. So if you Google us, you'll see us pop up everywhere online. Also, Shateria, she is the co-host of Shateria Franklin. You can contact her and she'll connect with you so you can grab tickets from her or she'll deliver and she can be reached at 814-218-4805. Excellent. Well, Tiffany, thank you so much for coming on to our show. Any, any parting shots, any final thoughts that you want to give our audience before we let you go? And I just wanted to correct that number, uh, Shateria. It's 814-218-4508. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Tiffany McLeod or T Tiffany Levette, thank given you. your maiden name, CEO of Her Power. We also like to thank Dr. Harnett for coming on the show earlier and talking about the crisis in Ukraine and Russia. You know, there are so many hopeful things going on in the community, and certainly Tiffany highlights that for us. By the same token, we are ever mindful of the fact that there are people that are suffering as they watch what's going on in yeah. Ukraine and what's going on with this Russian conflict. And it's encouraging to see across the city how people are just showing solidarity yes. and people are stepping outside of their everyday circumstances in order to acknowledge that we are a global community and what affects one affects all. And so where that's concerned, our thoughts and our prayers go out for those that are being impacted by that. And we also are mindful of the things that are going on here as Erie is also is always looking to improve upon itself 
as a community. And so with that, we thank you so much. Thank you. For tuning into our show today. We thank you, the listener, for giving us your time and your attention. Uh, you can tune into a lot of places. You've chosen to either listen or watch on with Next on WQLN. And so tune in every first, every fourth Sunday of the month at 4 p.m. on 91.3 FM. As you listen to Next on WQLN, again, you can go to our Facebook page and like the page. You can go to WQLN's page on Twitter at 814-NEXT-LEND, your voice to the dialogue and to the debate. For Next on WQLN, I'm your host, Marcus Atkinson. Thank you for tuning in, and we will see you next time.